Thank you for joining us for another episode of Baker Hosts Ad Nauseam, a podcast series focusing on new and trending advertising issues with an emphasis on the FTC and the NAD. I'm Leah Brave and you're listening to Baker Hosts. We are once again joined by Amy Mudge and Daniel Kaufman, two partners from Baker Hostetler's advertising, marketing, and digital media team. Together, they have decades of advertising experience and approach advertising issues from multiple perspectives. On today's episode of Ad Nauseam, Amy and Daniel do a deep dive into the National Advertising Division and talk about strategies to consider when your competitor is engaging in false advertising. With that, welcome to Ad Nauseam, and let's turn it over to Amy and Daniel. Welcome back, everyone, to Ad Nauseam. I don't know if you've noticed, but I certainly have, that we've been giving a whole lot of love to the FTC on Ad Nauseam and very little attention to the NAD, and we can't have that. It's false advertising because Ad Nauseam has been billed as a podcast dedicated to all things FTC and NAD, and I simply must insist on equal dignity. Okay, Amy, let's be clear. It's not always love that we're giving to the FTC at the outset. (laughs) (laughs) There has been a lot going on at the FTC in the last few months, and it has been hard to catch our breaths. Of course, NAD's been busy too, but those are more of a steady drumbeat that we expect while the FTC's been throwing, you know, whole symphonies at us. But now when we talk about taking center stage, Amy, I know you are an enormous fan of the awards season. Have there been any surprises for you though so far? Love, love, love award season so much better than football and basketball. So for TV, you know, it's been all about succession, the bear and the beef. And I have to say, I was actually in love with all the tension that the bear has been getting (laughs) and even more interested in the fact that for all of the lauds plaudits that the bear has gotten, it seems like the Jeremy Allen White Calvin Klein underwear ads have sort of taken over all this. And it's really not often that ads kind of take over pop culture like that. But, you know, I love it when I see it. But, you know, I had no beef with the TV awards. I would have liked to see Cousin Richie recognized for his bear performance. But it really, the bear was the show for me in 2023. And I think that Christmas episode was one of the most intense hours of TV I have ever seen in a good traumatic way. Jamie Lee Curtis is just incredible. So what about you? So that is definitely on my to-watch list. Like, what, cool. what has, I've not cool. watched the bear yet. No. But what has shocked me is I have seen, like, no movies this year. I have no qualms sitting on my sofa binging Better Call Saul episode after episode, which I'm doing right now, which is amazing. But, like, commit to a two-hour movie? I really can't do that. No Barbenheimer for you? You weren't there that weekend? I didn't see either. I really have to start going back to the movies. But I have loved all the love to Succession and seeing Kieran Culkin finally get recognized because I I just think he is brilliant in that show and his performance in particular. Absolutely. he. I got to say, I'm catching up on older TV and I'm just getting into Fargo. And he was only on Fargo for a really short time. That was an amazing performance. Didn't realize that. But let's get back to the business at hand here. Amy, quickly, how does NAD work? And am I going to get in trouble with you if I call it NAD as opposed to NAD? It is not NAD. It is always <laughs> N-A-D, right? I mean, we say F-T-C, not <laughs> Maybe start a new thing, Fatika. <laughs> look, people ask, it just is. Like, you got to, you know, if you're going to say, well, we're going to go to the NAD, I mean, that just sounds a little too anatomical. 
it's just it's not right so please please everybody it is the nad all right now what is it and i know almost everybody who's listening to us knows about this so i'm going to just do a real quick drive-by here but it's an arm of the better business bureau part of their national programs where a company can pay a filing fee it's tiered based on u.s revenue and then can challenge advertising claims that a competitor is making There's a couple of rounds of briefs that are exchanged, and then each side meets with the NAD to argue their case, and then NAD issues a decision, either finding the claims that were challenged were supported or recommending that they be modified or discontinued. It's all a voluntary process, but if companies don't participate or if they don't agree to comply with NAD's recommendations, the stick is there is an FTC referral. And Daniel, I know you can tell us lots about what happens when that happens. Yeah, the NAD referrals to the FTC. Look, the mantra has always been they're taken very seriously and they go to the top of the pile. And that is true. When I was a baby attorney working in advertising practices, I had a a few different NAD referrals I had to look at. And I will tell you, in those cases, the FTC will reach out to the companies, to the, the complaining company, engage with them, try to get changes to be made behind the scenes, but you don't see a huge number of NAD referrals that turn into cases. There is a lot Why happening. Not? Why not? You know, part of the challenge is the FTC is generally not focused on purely competitive issues. You know, they're focused on health issues. They're focused on safety claims or whether consumers pay too much. But, you know, are they going to get really worked up over sort of slight differences? And that's how the FTC will perceive them between one product versus another product. Now, again, if there is a theory that, these competitive claims or not necessarily always competitive claims, of course, are causing harm to consumers in some fashion, then the FTC is certainly going to be more interested in it. But you don't see that necessarily in a lot of the referrals. That's interesting. So the stuff that competitors probably get the most worked up about, who tastes better, who smells better, who's softer, is not the stuff that the FTC typically stays up at night worrying over. Yeah, look, I would have a hard time finding a recent FTC case involving, you know, taste, feel, sensation, issues like that. And things like that are really important to businesses and to industry, but less so to the FTC. Yeah, well, I guess what I've heard when I've encouraged the FTC to take up a referral is sometimes there's this idea with scarce enforcement resources, you know, big companies can kind of handle these disputes themselves. You know, the PNGs of the world do not need the FTC protecting them. But oh my gosh, we're talking about the FTC too much again. Well, force of habit, force of habit, damn agency. So Amy, at the end of the day, why does a competitor want to go to the NAD instead of simply filing a Lanham Act false advertising case? There's a couple issues there, cost and burden, timing, but a little bit less so. So it is always going to be far cheaper to go to NAD than it is to file a Lanham Act case. In a Lanham Act case, you are almost always going to be facing a counterclaim. So you're never just a plaintiff. You're almost always a plaintiff and a defendant. While at NAD, there's no counterclaims. Your company can file a a separate counter challenge, but in an individual case, it's only about the challenged claims. There's a filing fee, you've got to pay, but there's no discovery. So that inherently reduces the cost very significantly. Timing, 
Usually you're going to get an NAD resolution more quickly. Of course, in a Lanham Act case, if something really bad is going on, you can run to court, you can ask for a TRO. Even if you can't get that, you get a PI. And then the burden of proof is the last thing. In a Lanham Act case, a competitor challenger has to prove the advertising's false. And sometimes that in implied claims has to involve survey evidence, where at the NAD, you pay your money and you challenge certain claims, and that's all you need to do. The burden of proof is on the advertiser to show that they have a reasonable basis for their claims. So it's interesting. So an advertiser being before the NAD is much more akin to being before that agency, the FTC, where they have to show that their claims are truthful and non-misleading. But you know, one thing that has always struck me is obviously you, before the FTC, you're experiencing a lot of discovery, no discovery there at the NAD. So how does the NAD make a reliable determination that there is or isn't a reasonable basis to support any of the challenge claims? Well, first of all, there's a good faith element to this process. The people going in, both the challenger and the advertiser, will be forthcoming with the NAD. But in this case, I mentioned that the challenger just needs to file to pay their money and say, hey, I don't like these claims. And then the burden shifts over to the advertiser. But in truth and practice, the challenger does way more than that. They usually will open a challenge and say, we know these claims aren't supported or we know these claims are false. And they will tell the NAD why. Sometimes the challenger will actually test the competitor's product and put in evidence that way. And, you know, when it's the advertiser's turn to support its claims, the advertiser will share its testing. Everything's confidential at the NAD. You know, there's a lot of reliance on that and good faith participation of the parties. Yeah, it's interesting. Coming here about two years ago, you know, I've gotten to learn a lot more and have a lot of fun working with you on aspects of the NAD process. It is one that I've definitely seen large advertisers are really passionate about on multiple directions. And there's a lot of discussion I'm hearing about speed. You've got challengers saying the process takes way too long and, and companies are just sort of milking it out and making ad campaigns run longer than it shouldn't. And of course, advertisers thinking it is far too short. And, and what, what's your take on this? A, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B or? Absolutely. If you are the challenger, you always want it to move faster, right? Because you've got issues with the competitor's advertising and you want that advertising change. If you're the advertiser, you pretty much like your advertising. You want to, you know, you want to keep things going. So it's just, there is a lot of that tension back and forth. One of the nice things though, is people at the NAD are, sometimes you're a challenger, sometimes you're the advertiser. So on some level, folks are protective of the process generally, because they know they're going to be on one side one day and the other side another day. There is a, a set timeline within the NAD procedures, but people ask for extensions, right? And things can end up getting delayed. The NAD has worked really hard to try to shorten those types of delays and to try to really shrink the process. In addition, in the last couple of years, there's been some new options. There's a SWIFT option, which you can challenge a single claim and get a result in 20 days. Or there's a complex track that takes longer, but is probably the place that's more appropriate for very claim-rich and substantiation-rich cases. So what industries do you see as sort of the heaviest users of the NAD process? Telecom, telecom, telecom. NAD every year issues an annual report. It's a great thing for everybody to read. As long as I can remember when they list the industries who are users, telecom is always the biggest slice. Sometimes it's as much as 30% of the NAD's docket. 
your large consumer products companies are always going to be there. PNGs or Unilevers, et cetera. They know how to use the NAD process and really treat NAD as something they consider as part of its marketing arsenal. They've always been some kind of longstanding and weird wars between certain companies. We've seen a lot of vacuum cases. There was a newer set of wars that involved orthodontics and teeth whitening. There's always kind of a a set industry that's there more often, but really it's the telecom and the CPGs that are the, the workhorses at NAD. Okay. So Amy, theoretically, there's an ad I hate and I've got money spilling out of my pocket. Could I personally file an NAD challenge if I wanted to? Oh my gosh, you are just so vindictive, sir. I can't even believe it. And you know what? I'm sorry, Daniel. You are too busy. You have movies to watch and you have to get caught up to television shows of this general era. Yes. So so no, you I'm gonna I'm you are not gonna bring a case at NAD. But could you? Yes, you can. The unlike in the Lanham Act case where the plaintiff has to be a competitor of the advertiser. That's not a requirement here. It's what usually happens. But we do see consumers actually for free can file an NAD action. And, you know, there's one or two a year. NGOs or nonprofits can file those. And we've actually seen, we've seen a little more of that recently, environmental groups filing challenges to green claims. You know, one thing the FTC has that NAD doesn't is, is real enforcement discretion. And, you know, when you're at the FTC, anytime you're sort of considering an investigation, a potential case, you know, part of the analysis is, is this going to be a case on the margin? Is this going to be a case that's hard to sell, that's hard to sort of come up with limiting principles? And there are times you might sort of put a pin in something and see, well, let's see how this issue evolves. Is, is more science going to come out? Is our disclosures are going to become more, more obvious to consumers? So there are definitely areas where the FTC will sometimes step back and pause to sort of see how things evolve. But the NAD has no choice. You know, they've got a claim, they've got to address it. Is this clear and conspicuous? You know, they've got to focus on the issue and the FTC has that ability to, to put things on hold and see sort of how the market changes or doesn't change. Absolutely. 100%. Occasionally I get upset with NAD and I say, oh, they've decided this case in a way that FTC never would. And those are always in the cases of the really hard cases. The NAD can actually file its own cases, monitoring cases. In that respect, it chooses the cases it brings on its own. But any competitor case, it has got to decide what is before it. Now, one of the good things is that the NAD really has developed a lot of experience with the kinds of claims that are before them regularly. Things like those sensory claims, the taste better, smells better, softer, and the ASTM standard that's used to support those types of sensory claims. NAD deals with these things all the time. NAD also sees a lot more consumer perception surveys than the FTC. A lot of cases the NAD gets are just different than the ones that the FTC would pick up. But yeah, we got to decide what's what's before them. Amy, I know one of the questions we get asked a lot is, you know, should we be really worried about taking an FTC referral? Let's say a company doesn't want to comply with whatever the NAD directive is. What do you think, Daniel? I, I bet you know the answer to this one. 2024, I would not be eager to take an FTC referral, even though, and that's the thing we've talked about, the fact that not many of the referrals turn into cases, but you know this is an FTC that is aggressive. I think also there's something that that is a reputational hit when the headline is you know company decides not to comply with self-regulatory process. It's not a great look. 
And I can guarantee you the FTC will be looking into your practices. So again, it, it may or may not turn into a case, but this is not necessarily a great time to be sort of risking that and sort of putting a spotlight on you that is shining at the FTC. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think that's always been the case, taking a referral, but you're right. With this FTC, you've got to take an extra pause. I'm hard-pressed to imagine any situation where I would tell the client, yeah, you know what, let's go to the FTC. We've gotten as far as we can at NAD. You're taking an incredible risk right now. But, you know, short of that, there is something you can do if you don't like NAD's decision, which is you can appeal it. So why don't you walk us through that NARB process, Daniel? Because I know you've had some more experience there, and I think it's absolutely fascinating that the NARB, the appellate arm of NED, is overseen by Mary Engel, who, of course, for many years ran ad practices at the FTC. And now one of the directors kind of spearheads the NARB process was, again, spent her entire career at the FTC. So I suspect you know what's in these folks' hearts and minds. <laughs> I know a lot about those folks, but but not that much I can mention on, on this podcast. Maybe Maybe another day. But what struck me about the appeal process is, in many respects, it's sort of like the inverse or backwards of regular court. It's much more like a jury trial where you have the people deciding the appeal. And it really surprised me to see that the panel for the NARB is made up of people from the ad world who usually aren't lawyers. So usually it's marketing law professors, ad agency directors, in-house marketers. You get a panel of five for a regular case. You've got three for a swift appeal. And it's a pretty streamlined process. So you get one round of briefing and an argument with all the parties together. And each side is given time to argue. And the panel has time to ask questions. So the director then sits with the panel. And the panel decides the case. But eventually, the director writes up the opinion with their findings. So a key thing to keep in mind here is that much like a jury, these panels can be unpredictable. So any advertiser considering an appeal should really be mindful of that. Sometimes decisions can get worse and not better. It's true. And we are seeing more and more cases that are being appealed at NAD. That process, I think, is being used more than it has in the past. It can be a little bit of a live wire. But all right, we're getting down to the wire as far as our timeline. Which is another show I have not seen, The Wire. I have no words. But all right, so takeaways for when to bring an NAD case. I think we talked a fair amount about when to take a referral, which is almost never. We talked about using some caution when you appeal, but that's certainly an option. But takeaways on whether to bring a challenge at all. One thing that a company seeking to bring a challenge is to remember, NAD decisions are often used as kind of roadmaps for others in the industry going forward. So if you're going to bring a challenge, you might have to live with the consequences as well. And really, there also should be no throwing stones in glass houses. If you go after a competitor, while there are no counterclaims, that competitor might wake up and come after you. It doesn't mean you shouldn't use the process, but just make sure you really have your house in order before you move forward. Another thing to look at is if you challenge a competitor Are they just going to go do something smarter, better, faster? Really take a look at the claim and ask whether this is just something 
you as a competitor don't like? Or do you think that this is something that's actually compelling in the marketplace? I can't tell you how many times I've seen challenges where it's based on a social media post that's gotten 10 views and probably the 10 views are the marketers and the lawyers. So, you know, ask if this is actually something that is affecting you in the marketplace before you go forward. But other than that, I wish more companies did think like the big consumer package companies and really did treat NAD as a part of its marketing toolbox. Because sometimes, most often, it's better to compete better, do better marketing. But sometimes if a competitor is really going over the line, the NAD is an absolutely terrific place to go. And so with that, thank you so much for joining us. And this ends another edition of Ad Nauseam. Thank you, Amy and Daniel. If you have any questions for Amy or Daniel, their contact information is in the show notes. For more information on the latest developments in ad law, visit our Attorneys Law blog at www.attorneyslawblog.com and check out all Ad Nauseam podcasts by subscribing to Baker Hosts wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.